We're going to do a lot of preaching through teaching, and we're going to be jumping around to about four different sections of the Bible. I would ask that you take your Bibles out if you've got them, and that you keep them open to uh, 1 Peter and also John 14 is where the two areas that we're going to be looking mostly at. 1 Peter and John 14, for those of you who struggle with the New Testament and the placement of the books, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, in that order. So if you find Hebrews, which is a relatively large book, then just go two more books over to the right and you'll find 1 Peter. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, In thinking about what we just saw presented to the children, which I truly believe God gave to me because he wanted you, the adults, to hear that lesson. God says, if you love me, in John chapter 14, you will do what I command. And then in 1 Peter, God, through the writer, says, if you are my children, be holy. And quite honestly, that has tripped people up for more than 2,000 years. Be holy because I am holy. How in the world am I supposed to be holy? And the thing that's really confounding is in verse 14 of 1 Peter, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the Passions of your former ignorance. So there's a contrast that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through Peter to us. Not only are we as obedient children supposed to be living holy lives. We are supposed to be turning from and not allowing our old lives to conform us. And you see this idea of conforming. Is, is, it's a sense that you're being formed. Okay? But there's also the word con means with. The prefix con means with. So there's this sense of cooperating with the one that is trying to form you. So, if you are not to cooperate with the patterns or passions of your former ignorance as they're trying to form you, but instead you're to go against them, So that you can live a holy and pure and righteous life in this world. Not just in the time to come. Because see, that's one of the things that has been a struggle for many, many Christians. And that's what has caused a lot of uh, division in the body of Christ for many, many years. Because there are some Christians who don't believe that you can live a holy life until you are glorified and are in heaven with the Father. They believe that because of the the frailty of being a human being that you can never overcome the carnality or the desire to go against God's will. And I, I, I can't I can't ask you to uh, each one talk about your own personal experience, but I want you to think about your own personal experience 
in relation to your coming to the to faith. And then the struggle you may or may not have had after coming to faith in trying to live as an obedient child of God into a holy lifestyle. Because I know for myself, as a human being, not Christ human, Christian human being, but as a human being before Christ, I was a very selfish human being. I was self-centered. I was almost narcissistic in the way that I that I saw my world. I was. It was all about me. It was all about my goals. It was all about what I wanted. I had certain practices that were addictive and could have become lifelong addictions had God not rescued me from that path. Now, again, I don't need to share with you those addictions or the potential for addiction that was in my life. But I can tell you that had I followed that path or had God not rescued me from that path, my life would be significantly different and much darker and much sadder than it is today. Now, I am called of God to be obedient to the calling that he has on my life, not just as a minister of the gospel, but as a Christian. I am to live a life that is pleasing to God. I am to live my life in such a way, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Live your life in such a way so that the people around you will see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Those are the commands that Jesus gave to the people of God. So we are supposed to live righteously, pure, holy lives. And it is not easy. It is not easy. The enemy of our souls knows, for whatever reason, God has allowed the enemy of our souls to know how to reach us in temptation. And God has promised in 1 Corinthians, you will not be tempted to be beyond anything that you can bear. Now, there is a, 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 that is a frustration to me in that in this day and age, the world has twisted, and forgive the expression, but they have bastardized this, this scripture, and they have said, oh, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. And that is a lie out of the pit of hell. That's not what the word of God says. What the word of God says is when you are tempted, not if you're tempted, but when you are tempted, God will give you an escape hatch and a way out. But you have to take it. See, God works with you so that you can live the holy life. So that you can live a life that is pleasing to him. So that you can live a life that people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The concern of the problem is how? Because quite honestly, I don't see God face to face ever. I talk to him all the time, but I quite honestly never hear with my ears his voice. I sense him talking to me. I sense him talking to me, but I never sense him with my ears. So how do you continually turn to God and say, help, help, I need your help? John 14 style. You promised me that there will be a counselor who will come alongside me and help me. How do I go about doing this, God? Well, there's this one thing I want you to see. First of all, if you turn to Galatians chapter 4. This is something God showed me years and years and years ago when I was a young Christian. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Excuse me, 4 through 6. This is talking, Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he says, 
when the fullness of time had come, God, now this is God the Father, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Did you hear that? God the Father sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who were under the law so that we could receive adoption as sons. And because we are the children of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is one of the few verses in scripture that actually talk about the Trinity. This is the first time I've ever noticed, and this is the first scripture that I've ever noticed, I noticed it 40 years ago, that God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son. Which kind of messes my mind up because I always think about the Holy Spirit of God as a totally separate entity from the Father, from Jesus. But the reality is we worship a triune God who is three in one. So go back to John 14. Jesus is said to his disciples on the last night that he's on the earth, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know him. He didn't say you will know him. He said, you know him because he dwells with you. And he will be in you. And then he says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and all the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And he goes on. In that day, you will know that I am in the father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. This again is a a glimpse, a hint to us of this idea of Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't understand it. We will never fully understand it. I don't think even when we get to heaven. Because it's a mystery. But the reality of of what we're hearing here is that God himself will be present with us in the form of what Jesus called the paraclete, which is the one who comes alongside to help. So anytime I'm trying to live a life for God, pleasing to God, and that, 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 that to do beyond what I am able to do, Literally, what I'm told is, cry out and I will come alongside you. We're told in Romans that God will even give us the opportunity, give us the words to say to pray when we don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit will just pray through us. And so there's this idea that I'm called to live a holy life. 
It is beyond me. Why? Because I was born into the race of Adam and Eve. Why is that a problem, you say? Well, for those of you who've never heard this before, Adam and Eve violated the only commandment God gave them when they were in the garden. And the end result was their souls and every soul or spirit of every human being from that time forward warped and twisted. Each one of us were created in what's known as the imago dei, the the image of God. That part of us that is God-like, that is like God. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that imago dei, warped, twisted, melted, however you want to look at it, broke, went out of tune, got cancer, however you want to look at it. And unfortunately, as we heard this morning from our sister, there is a generational curse that every single one of us receives As a result of being human. And that is. You just don't want anyone to tell you no. You tell me what to do. I'll do it if it's convenient. I'll do it if if it's something I want to do. But don't you make me try to do it. Because I will fight you tooth and nail. And it is innate in us. I have a two and a half year old grandson. And he is a sweetie. And I love him with all of my heart. But oh my word, there are times when I see the devil rearing its ugly head. You can't make me do this. Ah! It was so funny this morning. There's a young child who comes to our worship practices. I'm not going to say his name because I'm recording this for all of posterity. But you know who I'm talking about. And this young child was carrying around a little baggie with crayons and a little pen. And his mama realized she needed a pen. So she came over and opened the bag up and took the pen out and gave him the bag of crayons back. And that child threw himself across the pew. (laughs) 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 Now, what was a one-year-old going to do with a ballpoint pen? (laughs) Other than destruction. But because somebody took it away from me. I'm going to throw myself down and try to have a temper tantrum. (laughs) No, all we did was laugh at him, which didn't help. (laughs) But you see, even as a one-year-old, they don't need to be taught how to do that. It's part of who they are. Because it's the curse that we all were born under. So now, you walking around your cursed self, trying to live a good life, and all of a sudden you come into... into, um, Contact with the truth of the gospel that God loves you and God loves you enough that he sent his only son so that you would not have to suffer the wrath of God. But Jesus himself took on the wrath of God and died on the cross and was buried and on the third day rose back to heaven. I mean, rose back to life and then was ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God. And is going to come back and get all of his kids and go live with them forever and for always. And that is an opportunity for you. All you have to do is confess your sins and repent. And God the Father will forgive you and you will be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God will come and reside with you. That's the good news. Each one of us have walked in that news. If, 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 if you're here, I would expect that you have. And if you haven't, we'll talk after the service. But the reality is, as you, the broken, warped, twisted, carnal nature filled person, come into right relationship with God, all of your sins are forgiven. But that doesn't make the carnality disappear. If you read Romans chapter 7, Paul said... I struggle against it regularly. 
Who will rescue me from this body of death? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, we get that, the answer to that question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. You see, this is the glorious part right here. God the Father has forgiven your sins because of the blood of Christ. And as a result, you now have right relationship with God and the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of all three, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is present with you to help you in times of trouble. And you are commanded in First Peter to not allow your former passions to conform you in the way that you live, but you are to live a holy life, one that is pleasing to God and brings people to look towards God and bring honor to God. And you come to recognize and realize that as a warped, broken Christian and carnal, carnal spirit filled Christian, that you are struggling to do what it is that God wants from you. You say, I love God. You say, I want to serve God. You even cry out, help, I can't do this on my own. And first Thessalonians chapter five, 23 through 24 says, thanks for crying out, help. Now we can do something about it. Because see, when you get to the point where you're so frustrated trying to live this Christian life, trying to have holy love, trying to have the fruit of the Spirit evidence in your life, and no matter what, you constantly trip, you constantly fall, you constantly find yourself drawn to your temptations, and you struggle against the, 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 the fight, and you end up succumbing to that temptation over and over and over and over again, and you seem trapped, and you cry out, God! I can't do this. I can't do this. And God says, I know you can't. That's why I'm here to help you. But you have to ask. Because I have the power to fix that thing that's broken inside. And I can and I will. But you have to ask. And you have to receive that gift by faith, just like you had to receive your salvation by faith. And once you do, you're going to find how glorious it is to not constantly struggle. Now, does that mean you'll never be tempted again? No. Does that mean you'll never sin again? Not necessarily. But what it does mean is that you are no longer allowing your former passions to conform you to the way that you should be living, but you're allowing the Spirit of God to conform you. In the first, in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the, as late as 2012, 2013, there has been, and we've talked about it in this church, there has been scientific evidence that there is a, a, a neurological uh, rewiring of the brain that allows people who have struggled with addiction or struggled with pr- even just a traumatic brain injury that they can, their brains can literally be rewired so that they can still function and function even better than they did before because of whatever injury or corruption was in their brain. And so God 
through this science can rewire the way you think and rewire the way you respond and rewire that which is damaged or broken. Now, theologians for years have argued and are still arguing, is it eradicated? Is it removed? Is it simply righted? Is it just tuned up? I don't care. Quite frankly, I don't care. Quite honestly, I have studied and studied and studied. I went to Bible college. I've gone through my master's program. And even as late as this morning, I pulled out the dictionary of Wesleyan theology so I could read up on this, so I could say the right words to you people. But the reality is, regardless of what actually happens on the inside, if I allow God, the Holy Spirit, to have freedom to do whatever God wants, okay, and the old-time Nazarenes would say, you consecrated everything. You finally gave God the whole package. No longer mine to hold on to. God, it's yours. I'm walking away from it. It's yours. Once you yield yourself to God, consecrate yourself to God, give all of your stuff to God, including this brokenness, then God, the Holy Spirit, says, good, I'll be glad to help help pick up that valise and put it on the table with you. I'll be the one to do it alongside you. And what's broken inside of you, I'll either fix or I'll reroute so you can still be successful and not constantly struggle. But it doesn't mean he's going to pick up the bag for you and put it on the table for you, necessarily. There may be some times where he's going to have to do that for you. There's going to, Paul himself, we, we, we prayed about it this morning. Paul himself said, God, in some cases, you manifested in a supernatural way and signs and wonders so that my work would be accomplished that you've given to me. So there will be times maybe that God will just miraculously pick the bag up and put it on the table. And that's God's business. If God sees that that's appropriate and necessary so that your calling can be accomplished, then God will supernaturally pick the bag up and put it on the table. But most of the time, God is going to say, Elsie, pick up that bag and put it on the table. And if it's too much for you, call out. I'll be glad to help. That's what holiness is, people. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. The problem is, we try to do it ourselves. The problem is, oh, pastor been preaching for months. I got to live a holy life. Well, I try. I try. And every time I try, I seem to fall down and I just feel like I'm a failure and I can't do it. Why? 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 It's just horrible. And the enemy is constantly whispering, see, you can't do this. This is, you're just, there's something wrong with you. Everybody else is doing it. Look at Beverly and Marlene. They've lived with God for 40 million years and they're holy. What's wrong with you? Please, have you not heard those whispers? Marlene says that about Beverly all the time. (laughs) But the reality is, folks, we are called to live holy lives, pure lives. And what's the result of this entire sanctification thing, this baptism with the Holy Spirit? It is we now can be Christ-like. We can now exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can now love unconditionally when it's not easy. We can show tough love in a Christ-like way if necessary. We can live a life that is pleasing to our Father. And not go to bed at night with this sense of guilt and regret and remorse. Because, oh my word, I did it again. I messed up again. Now... 
There are going to be times, because we are all in process towards being Christ-like. There are times when you are going to struggle and you are going to fail. And you know what? Sometimes, truly, sometimes, I think God, in his understanding and sovereignty, puts a 50-pound box or block inside the bag and says, pick it up. No, I'm not helping you pick it up. And he lets you struggle for a while. And then finally, he says, well, okay, I've seen that you truly are trying. Let me come alongside and I'll pick it up with you. God in his sovereignty knows what's best and what's right. And we just have to let him be in charge. But the reality is holiness is not some mystical, I can't ever reach it, I can't ever achieve it thing. Because if it wasn't, then why would he command it? But But the reality is the command and the fact that it's hard doesn't negate the fact that he won't help you. That he will... You know what I'm trying to say. That he will help you. It's just like when you're a kid. Just You saw what I did with the kids this morning. When, when you were a kid, didn't your parents ask you to do something that was tough? Didn't your parents expect more of you than you were actually able or willing to do? Why? Because they were trying to mold and shape you into the human being that you are today. Sometimes they were successful. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes the way they went about it was not healthy. But the reality was their intent was to get you to be a better, stronger human being. Well, the same thing with the Father in heaven. He wants you to be a better, stronger Christian, more Christ-like, more God-honoring, more kingdom-building. And he says, sometimes you're going to have to do it yourself, and sometimes I'll come alongside and do it with you, but all the time I will be there. And at any point when you can't do it on your own, regardless of whether I think you can or you can't, if you cry out, My hand will go on that handle and we will do this together. That's living a holy life. That's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's also the understanding of the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit deals with the carnal nature as well as does the empowering. But that's the part that's God's part. You can't fix the broken nature. And you can't fix the fact that you're not strong enough. But you can yield your brokenness to God and you can ask him to fix it and then you can willingly do whatever he asks you to do and you walk in what strength you have and you walk in what abilities you have and when it's beyond you, cry out, God, I can't do it. I can't get it all the way up to the table. Please help me. And there it is. Right there. He helps. That's the blessing of being a child of God. Because the people that live outside of the walls of the church are constantly standing there holding up their bag, trying so desperately to do the right thing and falling over or knocking the table over or breaking something or breaking their arm because they just can't do it. Why? Because it's beyond them in their broken spiritual state. And they need the first part of it, having their relationship before they can even get the power to live the good life. The right life, the holy life. I think I've said what I needed to say. I feel good about what was said. So I'm going to ask you to be quiet for a moment. We're going to take communion. And as you take communion this morning, I want you to be aware and realize the relationship that this represents. This is God the Father, when the time was ripe, sent his son in the form of a man who lived under the law, To redeem those who were under the law. 
And as you enter into that relationship, partaking of the bread and the drink, recognize that not only is your belly being filled with food, but your spirit is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And as you walk from here, the food might go away eventually, but the presence of God never will. And he will be with you to help you in anything that he's asked of you. Let's pray.